Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. podcast listener. This is episode 15 of the No Water Methodist podcast. This has really been an interesting experience tracking week from week trying to summarize what we talked about in worship, and of course we've done more podcasts than just worship, but um, yeah, this last week it was, uh, I got a little more raw than I usually do and uh, made me a little uncomfortable. I sure hope it didn't push anybody away, but uh, in worship, it's the second Sunday of Advent, and we were talking about the ministry of John the Baptist and the preparation that was done for Christ to come the first time, and then also what it means for this anticipation that we encounter in the first reading, the Malachi reading. It's talking about what it's going to be like whenever the God is, our God, is among us, and just the purifying and and painful presence of a, a pure God among an impure people, and and we talked about that call to purity. Uh, in the psalm, we talk about how God is calling us to minister not just to the the people we're comfortable with, but uh, people in darkness. You know, what does it mean whenever uh, Zechariah sings this song about bringing darkness, bringing light to people who are in darkness? And I share a story of a man who impacted my ministry pretty greatly in my earlier ministry. And, um, you know, we talk about in the, the Philippians reading the call to holiness and purity and uh, how important that is. But I also talk about um, just the deep darkness and despair that a lot of people live in regularly that we don't talk about, that we, we try not to think about, but how we're, as Christians, called to enter in pe- into people's lives who... Um, who are in darkness. And then finally, in the, the Luke reading, we talk about um, the ministry of, of John the Baptist and how dark it was, how, how very direct. And um, I, I, I ask that question of, can we appreciate the light without knowing the darkness? Can we appreciate our salvation without having a sense of doom and damnation? Um, so... Obviously, I think these are all very worthy topics, otherwise I wouldn't talk about them. Um, these are topics that I think a lot of people are very anemic and ill-equipped for. I, I, I don't think we naturally want to think about these things. We want to avoid them, but the problem is that we're not called to be natural. Um, so anyway, I, I hope this is a, a good experience for you, listening through these topics, contemplating them, hearing God's Word. Advent is a season of darkness, anticipating the light, and it requires some work on our part, so do some work with me and uh, my spiritual family here. All right, enjoy. Malachi is the last prophet in the uh, Old Testament. He sets things up quite nicely for the gospel message. Today we, uh, we're going to hear from the first four verses of chapter three. I'd welcome our first reader to come forward and share that with us. Good morning, all. In this particular reading, they make mention of fuller soap. I did not know what fuller soap was, so I looked it up, and it's an alkali-based soap made from plant ashes. It's like a natural lye, and it's to bleach. 
Today's first reading comes from the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, which you can find on page 1332 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the word of God. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he has come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as it is in former years. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember it was one of the first times Bud Callison read scripture for us. He had done research on some of the, the reading. I thought, oh, how nice. This is great. Someone, someone else engaging the text beforehand. And I just think it's wonderful that, that Doug did this research on Fuller's soap. And uh, it's good for us to know what that is. And then a refiner's fire is the other thing that Jesus is compared to. And whenever you refine metal, that's, that's the metaphor that we're working with here. You heat it up to the point of melting. And some stuff just burns away. Other stuff, if there's different kinds of metals in there, they'll separate. And um, you, have to, you have to scoop them out of there with something, I, I think. Um, I am not a refiner. I, I don't work with metal. I've just seen it on TV. But it's, um, the, the metaphor stands. Here it's saying there is a future day coming where God is going to send his Messiah. And it's going to be wonderful because God's presence is going to be among us. But it's a problem because who can stand in God's presence? If God is like refining fire and fuller's soap, if, has anyone ever put real strong soap on, on you? I'm not talking about the regular stuff we have. If you've ever had like industrial strength soap, it, it can hurt, especially if you have a cut on you. Oh, man, does it hurt. Um, and then if you, if you imagine being refined in a refiner's fire, that also is a very painful process. If you and I are unholy in the presence of a holy God, what happens to us? Has anyone ever seen Indiana Jones? Yeah, your face melts off. Sarah Beth knows what I'm talking about. Remember in that movie, they, they take off the, the Ark of the Covenant's top and God's presence comes out and everybody's face melts off because this is what people in the Bible knew. If you notice, anytime God, uh, one of his holy angels, the angel of the Lord shows up to talk with somebody, they lose their minds thinking they're about to die because they know that they cannot be in God's presence. They know that they can't and live. And that's true. It's still true today. No sinner will stand in God's presence. Every sinner will die. What on earth is there to be done about this? Is, is God good? Yes, he's good. Do we want to be good? Yes, we want to be good. Are we good? No, not yet. There's this thing called sanctification that takes place. And I talk about it kind of often. I hope it's not a foreign word to you at this point. But the notion is that Christ Jesus, when he came, he preached the truth. He preached the good news. And then... He left us with his Holy Spirit and his church and his word. And with these three tools, all of us, when you letting God work on us, we can grow from glory into glory until we are remade into the image of Christ Jesus. That, that portrait is all over the New Testament. Is Malachi before or after Jesus? Before. He's in the Old Testament. So Malachi is presenting this problem God is going to come and restore all things, but who can stand in his presence? The answer is Jesus is going to come and make us worthy to stand in God's presence. That's what's happened, and it's a wonderful thing. 
The first part of this, this uh, prophecy, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. So here, this, this Sunday, we're talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist fulfills this prophecy. There is going to be a messenger that comes before the Lord comes. Is Jesus the Lord? Yes, he is the Lord. And so John came to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, Jesus, here it's not talking about two times that the Lord would come. It's just talking about one time and anticipating the end for everybody. Everybody's going to die. What nobody knew was God had planned two trips from, well, the Lord, Jesus. The first time is to give us the news and equip us for holiness. The second time is to bring judgment. And so we live before, uh, between the first and second comings of Christ Jesus. Here it says, I will send my messenger, he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. So here, the way I read this is, this is about the second coming of Christ Jesus. Because when Jesus appeared the first time, it was in a little manger in Bethlehem as an infant. Here it's saying the Messiah will suddenly appear in God's temple, everybody's going to see it, and it's going to be judgment day. So that's what we're anticipating here. Um, the phrase, for some reason I never noticed, suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. That's in one of our Christmas hymns. Can anybody remember it? Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. Suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. Come and worship, come and worship. What hymn is that? That's hymn number, well, it's our next hymn, uh, 220, Angels from the Realms of Glory. Open your hymnals. Let me point this out to you. So this hymn, number 220, you'll see that there's a line between verses 3 and 4. Verses 1, 2, and 3 are Christmas-oriented. First, you're talking to the angels that showed up the night that Christ was born, the heavenly host. Second verse, you're talking to the shepherds that the angels sang to. Sung, is it sang or sung? All right, thank you, sang to. Um, and then the third is the sages or wise men. It's, and then the fourth is saints before the altar bending. Is that a Christmas story? What is it? What's that from in the Bible? The saints before the altar bending. What's that from? Yeah, good. Revelation chapter 5. All of a sudden, the fifth seal is opened, and you see the martyrs, the people killed for the Christian faith, are in God's altar in the heavenly temple, and they're praying before God, how long are you going to make us wait before you go and kill all the bad guys and put your, your heavenly kingdom on earth? And so here, the last verse turns to an Advent, second coming thing. Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. They're, they're waiting for God to, to go finally and bring his judgment. Suddenly, the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. That's the, the Malachi revelation uh, prophecy that we've just gotten. So anyway, that is a cool overlap. I don't care if you're impressed by it, I'm impressed by it. Let's uh, flip over to page 208 in our hymnals. Instead of having us do a psalm today, it has us doing the song that Zechariah sang whenever he got his voice back. If you don't recall the story of Zechariah, he was a high priest at the time just before Jesus was born. He and his wife were unable to conceive a child, as so many in the Bible were. And one day before uh, the Lord in the temple, angel of the Lord appears before him and says, we're going to give you a child. God, I'm going to give you a child. And Zechariah gives just the smallest bit of doubt. And the angel curses him, said, you're never going to speak 
again, you're not going to be able to speak from here forth. And he comes out, and what do you know? He can't speak, but he goes home, and his wife gets pregnant, and they have a child. And when the child is born, they say, hey, you want us to name him Zechariah? He says, nope, his name is John. The Lord is, has told him it should be John. And uh, right then, in that final sign of obedience, he gets his voice back. And what does he use it for? He uses it for praising God in this way. So we've heard this response sung. This works just like a psalm. Anytime you see the big red R, that means sing this part. It sounds like this. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. Let's sing that together. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. Before we do the reading, who's the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son? Who is that? Yeah, Jesus. We're not naming him, but those are titles of his. Okay. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has come to set the chosen people free. Through the holy prophets, God promised of old to save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. This was the oath God swore to our father Abraham. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. He's talking to John here, not Jesus. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. Every week I send out a a discipleship mailing email hope is to encourage you to engage you spiritually i just know that during the week there are a lot of other entities that touch you and they're not bringing out the spiritual part of you not bringing out the holy part of you they're trying to bring out other parts of you so i figure hey i should email everybody midweek and try and encourage them and give them some some spiritual ammunition for their spiritual battles day by day and um some weeks a lot of you read some weeks not a lot of you did but this week i heard back from brandy uh, Y'all remember Brandy Goodwin. She moved away a year ago with her, her husband and son. They're in Broken Arrow now, and they've joined Heritage United Methodist Church, and they're very happy. But she, she still gets the mailing, and she, she, was, she so enjoyed what I wrote this week that she wrote back and just said, we miss everybody there, and, and I just thought what you wrote was wonderful. Um, if you missed it, what I wrote, I, I did ministry before I moved out here. I, I was in Idaho for uh, five years, served three churches at the same time, and one of the churches I— well, I was doing, we didn't have any children, so I did the same thing in all three churches, and we were all very active. I couldn't do that now with kids. But um, there was a Bible study I decided to start, and I put an advertisement for it in the paper, and that doesn't work. I don't even do that anymore, but it worked for me one time, and it was the time that the Lord brought Joe. 
And Joe had just come off the road. He'd been driving truck for 10 years. He was probably in his early 60s. And Joe was kind of an intense fellow. He was not, he was not all together there. Um, he was well-read. He was, he was smart. He probably thought he was a little bit smarter than he actually was, but, but we liked each other. We had a good Bible study together. He'd been influenced by the Mormons quite a bit, and so we, we, every week it was, oh, here's what the Mormons teach, and here's what it actually says. It was, it was good for him and me. But Joe, he had an ex-wife in town. Uh, they used to be wealthy together. One of the stories he told me, they, used to, they had a plane that they privately owned, and they would fly it to a town 50 miles north just to get coffee. And then they would come back. So they grew up wealthy with no worries. Now both of them were very impoverished, had very dysfunctional households. He, he moved back to getting to, to be with his ex-wife. Um, and then he moved in with her and her daughter and her daughter's feral children. And when I say feral, I mean they, they were wild. They smelled bad. They didn't bathe. They had unkempt hair. Many of us are familiar with families like this. I finally went to their household one time. It smelled like animal urine. There was no order and no cleanness. I was very worried about them all the time. I called Child Protective Services more than once on this family. I think they probably knew it. But they still came close to the church because Joe had made a commitment to me, and he came close to the church, and his life wasn't pure and holy, but he was aiming in that direction with me. He would come to church smelling strongly of cigars and sometimes animal urine. Very hard to be close to this guy. He was on a different wavelength. But I'll tell you, every Sunday I would look out while we were talking about real things and I would see tears in his eyes because he was listening to me on a level that most people don't. You know, most people, oh yeah, that's the preacher and that's his bailiwick, that's what he gets on. He never got tired of it. And granted, he didn't grow up in the church, but he just heard it and listened in a way that I just couldn't turn this man away. And we would try and get his life together. We would try and teach him you know what to do whenever he's got people in his house slamming doors and screaming at him we would try and help his and you know what the lord was working on him and his family it just wasn't going very fast and then one day he had a heart attack and he died and it was just a really sad way for that to end because i had invested so much in him and his family sarah beth you know when it was the first family that we were really close to that was that dysfunctional like everybody's family's got some dysfunction but, some, you know, when you're talking about animals peeing in the household, when you're talking about uh, people screaming and hating each other and then loving each other, getting in fist fights, the police being called, loving each other the next day. I mean, when you're talking about a household like that, most of us know of families like that. Sarah Beth and me kind of got inducted into the side. We were like cousins. And Sarah Beth would not be able to go to sleep at night because she was so worried about them. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but I'm going to go ahead and say these kind of people are the ones that Christ has called us to save. Churches, unfortunately, especially within America, fall within this pattern of only wanting to save the people that are the low-hanging fruit. They don't have too bad of problems. You know, yeah, they, you know, they're kind of estranged from their mother or, you know, they've, they've got a, a money mismanagement problem but not on this level. You know, when, when you encounter people on this level, I mean, most people just, I don't even know where to start. Please stay away from me. Here in this, this reading from Luke, I shouldn't have closed my, I don't want to paraphrase it. It says, what we just now did, in the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us 
to shine on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death. Well, gee, when we're talking about people like that, that's who I think. When you tell me who's, who's dwelling in darkness and in the shadow of death, I'm not thinking of the Rickmans living next door. They're, they're not in the darkness. Whenever I'm thinking about people living in darkness and in the shadow of death, there are a lot of people like that around. And did Jesus come for them? He did. And the scandal of our age right now is there is a smaller percentage of poor people in the church now than ever before in America. For some reason, poor people in America, and yes, I just equated poor with dysfunctional because I've, <laughs> I know some rich people are dysfunctional, but the vast majority that I've known like this are generationally poor, underprivileged, undereducated, um, have a lot of things going against them. Those are the people that are in church the least, and I don't really know why, but I do know that's the people we're called to deal with. So we'll talk about that a little bit more, but let's move along. Let's do our third reading, uh, this one from Philippians chapter 1. I'd welcome that reader to come forward. Today's third reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, which you can find on page 1653 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the word of God. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think it is, <laughs> excuse me, even as it is meet for me to think this of all of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both of my bonds, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more, and in more knowledge, and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I know the, the language is kind of oblique, but even when you have easy language, Paul is hard to understand. In fact, in Second Peter, Peter straight up says, I know a lot of what Paul says is hard to understand, but that doesn't mean we get to distort it and contort it how we want. Paul, there are some things that are hard to understand. You just cling to the parts you do understand. Here's something that, that uh, seems kind of obvious. Being confident of this thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He's talking about God there. He's saying he began something with you, and he's going to see it through. What does God begin with us when he saves us? I don't want to leave that open. Uh, I don't know what you would say. God begins this path of purification with us. You remember the fuller's soap, the refiner's fire? God begins that process with us whenever he initiates us into the new covenant. He begins this process of uh, sanctification. That means growing in holiness. God began that with us, and he will see it through before it's too late. Isn't that a comfortable thing? A lot of people stall out, though. That's the thing. In fact, I would say that's the majority religion right now. It's not people growing in holiness. It's people who've discovered that growing in holiness is hard, and then they get discouraged and lazy, 
and then they just stall out. Okay? But that's not how Christ has called us to live. And that's why Paul saw it as so important to write these different churches and say, God started a good thing with you, and I love you, and I'm praying for you. And here's what I'm praying for you, he says, that your love may abound. That means multiply, get bigger and bigger. Yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. He wants us to get smarter and more discerning. That you may approve things that are excellent. That's part of the discernment thing as well. That you may be sincere and without offense, without any flaws, without any sins, until the day of Christ Jesus, being fulfilled with the fruit of righteousness. Is this a big prayer or is this just kind of a small prayer? It's a big prayer. It's not, Lord, help me do one nice thing for one person today. That's a small prayer. That's an easy prayer. It's, Lord, I want you to make this whole group of people actually holy. So that whenever you appear suddenly in your temple, you will find people worthy to stand in your presence. Let's, let's, let's answer an easy question. Does God deserve a holy family? Yes, he does. Does God have already a holy family? Not so much. So he's got us all on this pathway of purification, of sanctification. And here's another, I hope this is an easy one. Is God able... To sanctify us. He is able. He is able. I on my own am not able to sanctify myself. But with God's help, am I able to grow in holiness? What about you? Are you able to grow in holiness? God is able. And all he requires is that you walk alongside. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? Jesus is pulling all the weight. He just requires you to walk alongside him and take the yoke upon you. Is that too much to ask? You know it's not. Let's sing a hymn of submission. My kids had never seen a potter. You know, this is have thine own way, Lord, right? Thou art the potter, I am the clay. My kids had never seen a potter do his work before. And I looked up on YouTube, and it started off the best way it could. It was just a guy gets a big hunk of clay and shits it right, puts it down right there and doesn't look like anything. And then in just a couple minutes, you know, he's got some water and he spins it around. It's this beautiful vase. My kids wanted to be bored by it. They wanted to think it was stupid, but it was really cool. And that's what God does with you and me, right? I've heard it compared to, we have these people that turn houses around. They'll buy a, a, a junked up house and they'll renovate it. And if you pretend that you're a house, you know, sometimes when God is renovating you, sometimes he does things that you know need to happen. You know, he He'll take out your old sink and he'll replace it. And you'll go, yeah, that, that really needed to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did that. But sometimes he does things that you don't like. He gets a sledgehammer out and he breaks down a wall. And you're going, hey, I got memories at that wall. But God, are you going to let him do what he's going to do or not? Are you going to stand in his way or are you going to trust him? And he, Sometimes he's got to gut you. Sometimes he's got to rewire you. Are you going to let him or are you going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. I signed up for a few cosmetic changes, okay? Not a whole new thing. Now, likewise, you and I are hunks of clay. And God is going to rework us. You know, I'll tell you, there are people in college that would look at me today and go, this cannot be the Jeffrey Rickman I know. I was, I was a pagan. I was a hedonist. I was an atheist, okay? I mocked people like me today. There are a lot of people who, looking at the transformation in my life, would not believe, they would say, he has to be lying. He has to be a charlatan. That's what God does in our lives. But he doesn't make it happen against our will. 
So as we sing hymn number 382, may we have submissive hearts to God doing that hard work upon us. Our final reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, which you can find on page 1431 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. So that first half that we deal with, uh, I know a lot of people get bored by that, but you have to remember, the Bible was written before there was a standardized dating system. You know, we have B.C. and A.D. nowadays, and we have an exact year thing. Once upon a time, you didn't have that, and you had to describe this event happened when so-and-so was ruling here and so-and-so was in charge here, and it's by doing that that you could locate when something happened. So this is the Christ story is not a metaphor. It is a historical event with a lot of metaphorical implications as well, but this is rooting it in history and saying this is when these things happened. There is, academics used to be so lazy that they thought that this was all lies. They, they said, oh, they just made up these rulers. They made it sound historical. Finally, we, we did the research and found the archaeological evidence and went, well, what do you know? There was a Lysanias. Well, what do you know? There was an Abilene. So the, I don't know how many of you here are cultured despisers from time to time kind of sniff, snorting at different things in the Bible. This is all historically attested. This, the Bible, the historical events of the Bible, especially the Christ event, are the most historically attested events in the entire ancient world. So if you believe Herodotus... You should believe this. This, this is, this is as close to unquestionable as it gets. Now, it doesn't even talk about Jesus in this reading. It talks about John, and then it quotes from the prophet Isaiah this passage of one coming before the Lord to make the ways straight, make it easy for people to receive the Lord. So he goes to different geographic, and he goes to valleys, and he fills them in. He goes to mountains, and he cuts them down. And the, the, the crooked ways he makes straight. He makes it as easy as possible for people to be right with the Lord. And that's what John did. John showed up in the wilderness preaching a message of repentance. And this is a message of turning from one's sins. And whenever you hear the content of what he preached in the Gospel of Matthew, John was not an easy preacher. He condemned people of their sins and threatened them with hellfire. He called them names. He called them a brood of vipers. Was John the Baptist one of the good guys or one of the bad guys? He's one of the good guys. He's fulfilling prophecy as one who's preparing the way for the Lord. And the encouragement I have for you today around John is, yes, receive Jesus, but I'm of the mind that one cannot receive Jesus unless they've also received John. And I don't mean that to be John is a co-savior. Jesus alone is a savior. He alone is a mediator. However, it's like people who try to find Jesus without reading the Old Testament because it's hard. And there are a lot of Christians who do this that 
They don't like the Old Testament. They only read the New. The reality is the Old Testament is about Jesus. They don't name him, but they set him up just right. They're making that rough way plain. They're making the, the crooked way straight. That's what John did, and John was a dark fella. You and I are in the midst of a season that's kind of fraught because everybody's wanting to already do the happy stuff about Christmas. They're not wanting to talk about the darkness. They're wanting to look at the lit candles. They're not wanting to look at the darkness around it. I'm of the mind that one cannot appreciate the light unless one knows the darkness. One cannot appreciate holiness unless they know the depths of despair and sin. And one cannot appreciate the promise of salvation unless they have felt the fires of hell on their feet. And that's a hard message to preach because I, I, I have a very privileged upbringing. I, I was brought to scoff at hell and sin. I, I didn't experience any pain or darkness. Like I said, I, I, I was in a household where we didn't have any kind of awful dysfunction on a daily basis. God woke me up, thank God, because this whole world was putting me to sleep. The question before all of us, whether or not you've had an easy upbringing like me or a very hard upbringing like I know some of you have had, whether or not you've had things handed to you like me or you've had to work hard for everything that you've got, whether or not none of that matters nearly so much as what you choose to do about it today, who are you called to minister to today? And the darkness is very real and there are people living in the darkness. It's the majority of people. And sometimes they don't see it because there aren't any obvious signs. They're not living in a house filled with uh, animal urine and fighting and screaming. They've got their budgets in order and, and everything looks fine. And you know, God is calling them, but they have a hard time hearing it. What about those people, those really messy people? What about people living in the depths of darkness and despair? What about them? What about people who have been so warped and traumatized that they can't interact normally? I've already preached on them. I read something this week in, on Twitter of all places. It was a story about two parents who, uh, I couldn't believe this, they, over a period of weeks and months, starved and beat their six-year-old son until he died. And they recorded it. And he heard this little boy say, nobody loves me, and nobody's going to feed me. And then he died. And we, we turn away from that because it hurts so much to know that people are hurting like that. I remember two years ago, there was an apartment here in this town where the police broke in because the parents were going nuts because they were high on meth. And they broke in and they found subhuman conditions in this apartment. I don't know how they lived this long, but not only that, they found their two boys drugged and passed out in the other room. They'd been living in these conditions for months. And I felt so awful that I live in this town and this was going on and I had no idea and I didn't do anything about it. These boys were going through this every day and I'm just going along happy in my life like nothing's wrong. I got to tell you, I get real vigilante justice when you tell me these situations. And I just think it's so shameful that we have so many churches in this town and then we have children living in those conditions and we don't even know about it. And I'm going, is there really nothing we can do? Really, there's, we just got to give it all to DHS and, oh, they didn't do anything about it. Shucks, there's nothing to be done. If it's not my responsibility, then why do I feel so guilty? 
And if it's not the church's responsibility, why do I feel so ashamed that we're not engaging more families like this? So I don't know. I don't have any easy answers. But I know that, um, I know we can't just shrug whenever the people who need us most are the ones that are furthest away. And I know that our lives here, yes, we're supposed to spend time in fellowship and happiness, and yes, we're called to the light. We're supposed to be grabbing people out of the darkness and bringing them to the light, though, don't you think? So I want us to pray together about how we can do that. This is a season where we say the light came into the world and the darkness could not comprehend it. And I hope you believe with me that the light is more powerful than the dark. I don't think there's any reason that we should be intimidated and cowed by the darkness that we see around us. I don't think there's any reason why children should be living in subhuman conditions in this town. And not just children, we're all God's children. It makes me miserable that humans treat each other like this. And if you hear condemnation for the parents in my voice, I'm sorry, yes, some of that's there. But if you talk to the pure part of me, it's the part that loves them and wants better for them. Can you imagine how tortured you must be to torture your own child? Can you imagine the evil that's taken root in your heart? When we tell the Christmas story, when we talk about the darkness, when we, when we talk about the power of light over the darkness, that's what we're talking about. It's not just so we can pay attention to the light and not think about the darkness. It's so that we can shine the light in the darkness and see that it's powerful. And if you believe that the, that the light of Jesus Christ is powerful, then I hope you'll join me in a mission to find people in the darkness and bring them to the light. Because is Christ powerful to save? Yes. And I'd like to see him saved. I know it's dark. It's an Advent sermon. We've got two more Sundays of Advent. Then we've got Christmas. I know I don't usually get this dark, but you know what? Here's the deal. I'm afraid that we're falling asleep. I'm afraid that the world is trying to put us to sleep, and I'm afraid that too often we're content being asleep. And every now and again, I think it's appropriate for a pastor to say, wake up. So I hope that's welcome. I'd like to ask you to stand and sing with me. Lift up your heads, your mighty gates. And then if you'd like, stay afterwards and have communion.